I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Yeah, welcome in, Jake. How you doing? Doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. Having a great week. So for our audience out there, they're going, who the hell is this Jake guy? So it's Jake <laughs> Corley. Uh, Jake is uh, filling in for James Hahn. Um, and Jake has uh, been around our podcast and been a part of our community for a very long time. So what's your story, Jake? Oh, man. Uh, let's take it back to the the thing that we have most in common is going to be uh, the Marine Corps. So uh, Marine Corps vet. I was in the Corps from 2009 to 2013. Uh, I was a communications guy. I uh, spent most of my time out in California, so it was kind of painful to to, to leave that. If you've never been to San Diego, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous, uh, so, the weather there. Oh, man, you, you can't beat it. You know, it's like 70 degrees, 70 to 75 year-round. You know, you can you can put the top down on the car, or jump on your motorcycle any time of year. It's so much fun. Um, enjoyed that. I loved it. You know, it was the the best four years of my life, and probably the worst four years of my life all at the same time. <laughs> and I know you can relate. Been there, brother. Yep. Yeah. So that was great. Uh, of course, met my beautiful wife out there. Um, we got married after I moved back to to Houston. Came back, utilized the GI Bill. Um, was getting a degree in computer science. Uh, ended up co-founding a company called GDSware, and that's right around the time that we actually met. Uh, I think it was like early 2014, probably. Yep. Uh, and that was really the the start of this whole oil and gas career. Um, so essentially what we had done was we were providing oil and gas operators with uh, a cloud ERP system to help them run their businesses more efficiently. Um, and that, that was so much fun. I, I love upstream oil and gas in particular, uh, just because I think it's, it's still an open playing field. You know, uh, there, there's so many things that can be improved upon. So many things have been done the same way for years. I mean, decades, really. Um, so for, for startups looking to get into oil and gas, it's a great place to, to look. Yeah, um, so what's really cool about that, Jake, is you actually stood up a successful startup in the oil and gas industry, something that a lot of people say is really hard, almost impossible to do. But you and I both know that it actually is needed. And, it's, and if you're in the right place, you can do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it was definitely hard. Um, I mean, we, we made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, I, I think part of that was, it was due to just really, really learning the, learning the industry. Um, and I think a lot of things changed whenever you and I actually met, uh, I think it was like in 2014 and you, you schooled me up on a lot of things, which <laughs> really, really helps. Um, but it, it wasn't easy running a startup, you know, especially as, as crude prices were tanking from, I mean, I think when we, we started, it had just dropped from a hundred to like 90 and everyone was freaking out. Uh, right. and we, we saw it drop all the way down to 25. So, um, but we, we survived, uh, I ended up leaving that, uh, and, and pursuing doing consulting, uh, back in August of this year. Uh, so we're just rolling yeah. with that now. Yeah, so if you're an entrepreneur or startup looking to enter oil and gas, reach out to Jake. Not only has he done it, but he can help you with it as well. Now, Jake, we have a couple more things in common, right? The API Young Professionals Group? API Young Professionals Group, yes. We, uh, you linked me up with those guys. Uh, what was it? It's, I think it's been about a little over a year now. Um, and so what we do is we uh, – it's, it's a great professional organization for young professionals within oil and gas. Uh, it's kind of a – I guess kind of like a sub-organization of, of API Houston. Um, it's fantastic. We do a lot of industry tours. We actually did an industry tour yesterday at the Halliburton campus. How cool is that? So you and your API Young Professionals got to go have a tour of Halliburton. 
yeah, it, I mean, it was fantastic. The facilities are so nice. Um, it's really cool to just kind of see behind the scenes how everything runs there. Uh, you can kind of really see the, the culture of the, of the organization. Um, and it's a great recruiting effort for, for Halliburton or really any other company that we do tours with. Like we did, we did a tour of Phillips 66, I think it was like two months ago. Um, and I, I think some people got some jobs out of it. Um, so it was, it was cool. It was cool for both sides of the fence. Yeah, but you also toured Honeywell. You got to do the rig tour, and you have so many more things coming down the road. So any young professionals out there that are in the Houston area, uh, look at joining API Young Professionals. The cost is a whopping $25 a year, so uh, you can afford it. Yeah, and if you want to find out more information about that, you can just go to api-yp.org. You can go in there, find different events that we have coming up. Uh, You can become a member. Uh, and just learn more about the organization. Or if you have any more questions, you can reach out to me directly or any of the other uh, people who are actually helping run the group. Yeah, so good stuff. So welcome aboard, Jake. Um, it's Thank good you. to have you here. Um, let's go ahead and roll into the show. Uh, so we got a little banner talk. Uh, speaking of Marine Corps, what's going on here? So uh, this has made headline news uh, all across Facebook and the rest of the Internet, at least in my networks. Uh, all my old Marine buddies are, are, are posting articles about the retired General James Mad Dog Mattis is be considered by President-elect Trump for Secretary of Defense. And if you're a Mar- if you're in the Marine Corps at all, if you're a spouse of somebody that's in the Marine Corps, uh, you absolutely know who uh, James Mad Dog Mattis is. He's a legend. Yeah, this guy's a living legend. Uh, I mean, he's... He's like the Chuck Norris of the Marine Corps, really. <laughs> I mean, there's there's jokes about him. I mean, it's and, but everybody has so much respect for this guy. If you if you were to Google uh, General Mattis, you, you'll find like 50 different quotes that were used um, by him. And it, hey, I got, can I tell you my favorite one? Yeah, let's hear it. And you're gonna have to bleep part of this. This is my <laughs> okay. favorite one he did. Like, the, um, I come in peace. I didn't bring artillery, but I'm pleading with you with tears in my eyes. If you fuck with me, I'll kill you all. <laughs> I and think that's, that's just, his, his that's most notorious him. one. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we we used to get uh, you know, our CEO would come around and and quote off some uh, some of his old quotes, just kind of get everybody fired up. And uh, so this so this is interesting to see. I mean, does he really have a chance to be Secretary of Defense? I don't know. Um, I know there is a law stating that you have to be uh, retired for more than seven years, and he just retired three years ago. So I don't know if if that's still in effect or not. Yeah, so the nice thing is he's he's a leader. Uh, he's not a politician. And this is something that, you know, I've been saying for years is we need to get the politicians out of out of Washington and let's get some leaders out there. He would be great for this position. I don't know if he's going to be able to make it or not. I surely, I mean, uh, in my heart, I, I can't imagine you might that would be better for this position than him. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Uh, I don't know if you remember a while back, there was actually a, I think there was a petition or something going around for him to actually run for president. No, uh, yeah. It, he got yeah, like 200,000 votes or uh, signatures. Uh, and it, I mean, it was definitely making headlines within my networks. Yeah, and, and I would have voted for him as president as a heartbeat. Definitely. Um, okay, so let's roll into, we have a stand corrected. You want to kind of go through that? Yeah, so we, we, we stand corrected. Uh, let me go ahead and read this. Uh, it says, Mark and James, I listen to your podcast regularly. Overall, you do a very good job of getting things right. There may be a couple here and there that may be subjective, but your recent podcast, episode 88, had too many issues for me to not try and correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's roll into this. Uh, first, hydraulic fracturing has been done on the north slope of Alaska. 
Historically, it was the smaller fracks on vertical wells, but in the last five years, the large mechanical diversion fracturing has occurred. Uh, large means uh, around 6,000 foot horizontal zone fracked with 2 million pounds of propane. Uh, both uh, HOWCO and SLB. That's a uh, summer not, I don't know who HWCO is. A- yeah, I'm not sure about that one either. Uh, and have had large pumping fleets on the slope. Most fracturing has been for production wells, but some has been for exploration wells that have been fracked. Second, so there's more. Okay, so there's more we, we screwed up here. Uh, drilling and other operations can and do take place all year round on the north slope on the constructed gravel pads that make up Prudhoe Bay, uh, Cooperuck, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, and other smaller fields. Um, these fields are interconnected with gravel roads that connect the rest of the world with the Dalton Highway from Fairbanks and beyond and via the major airport at Dead Horse. These fields are the source of the production for the Trans-Alaska Pipeline and have been the golden goose for the state of Alaska. However, in addition to the gravel, ice is used in the winter to construct temporary roads and pads for starting as early, uh, or for other work, sorry, so let me read that one more time. So, however, in addition to the gravel, ice is used in the winter to construct temporary roads and pads for other work, exploration wells, uh, stage of frack fleet, etc. Uh, these operations start with the ice construction starting as early as November and end in May. The operations window, as we like to call it, uh, is about 90 days from January to February uh, to April, May. So hydraulic fracturing can and does play, take place many times on the ice just have to get the wind walls and heat to the pumps, fluids, and people. Uh, a bit of diesel is burned in the heaters. There are other few other corrections, but I'll make sure you get these before I spend any more time on this. Walter Quay. Hey, Walter, sincerely, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, we messed up on this, but obviously you have a lot of experience out there. And so anytime we make a mistake, people, let us know because um, we want to own up to it. And we also want to learn ourselves. So Walter just taught me and Jake something that we didn't know. And so, Walter, it's um, I'd love to actually have a conversation with you. It sounds like you have a ton of experience out there. Maybe we can even get you on the show. So if you're listening, let us know. And then once again, sincerely, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Uh, Jake, you ready to get into the stories? Let's get into it, man. All right. So first up, uh, this is something that I, I find really interesting because a lot of people are posting it. I don't think it's truly news. Uh, I think this is something that a lot of people have already known about, but I'll let you be the judge of that. So um, people are saying that the biggest shale field ever has been found in Permian's Wolf Camp formation. Uh, so they're calling it a $900 billion gold mine. What are your, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it's, it's definitely not a new field. So, so the Permian has been around since the 20s, but they keep, because of technology innovations, they keep finding more and more and more oil there. And it's, yeah. it's I mean, it's just, it's really the coolest thing. So um, 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 Pioneer found this, this, uh, um, this uh, recoverable asset, and they're pegging at 75 billion barrels. It's not million, it's billion with a B. Um, which then makes the Permian's recoverable oil more than uh, what Saudi Arabia has. Now, there's a difference between recoverable oil and oil that you have to get out of the ground. And all that depends on price. Um, but the fact that there's so much reserves out there, and, and like I said, every year they find more and more there because they, they have different technology. So if we have this much in the Permian now, what are we going to know that's recoverable there in, in by you know another 10 or 20 years? Um, it's kind of cool that uh, ConocoPhillips actually increased its uh, size of their wolf cap holdings. Wolf cap's in the, in the Permian Basin um, from, from um 
um, one point from one billion barrels to one point eight, so it almost doubled what they think they can recover. And so it's just this is just another um, you know a pat on the back for the U.S. shell uh, plays. There's a lot of recoverable oil and gas out there. And, and like I said, I've been saying this on the show for a long time. We're in a hydrocarbon abundant world. We, there's tons and tons of hydrocarbons out there. And this Permian discovery, which sounds unique, it is unique, but this geology is not unique to the U.S. There is this same shell geology all over the world that nobody's even explored yet. So you can imagine how much recoverable unconventionals are out there. We haven't released our... Uh, predictions for uh, uh, 2017. It's getting close for us to release it, but one of the things that we that we think we're going to predict is the unconventionals that go spread globally, which which is just good for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And and these wells, if you, if you look into the article, uh, one of them was saying that the uh, I guess they they quoted Timothy Leach, who's the CEO over at Concha Resources, was saying that they just recently drilled two wells over in the Wolf Camp, Wolf Camp uh, and both of those are pumping on average of about 2,000 barrels a day. Okay, so you're looking at around $3 million in revenue at $50 oil per well. Yeah, and the other thing that, that's in this article is kind of cool. So you talk about Diamondback Energy is drilling 10,000-foot laterals. Whoa, how do we get to 10,000-foot <laughs> laterals being the norm, right? That is cool. Yeah, that, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. So we got next on the plate. All right, next up. I think, I think it's only appropriate now that we have our, uh, you know, regardless of what your political views are, we have our president-elect. Trump is going to be the next president. Um, so everybody's talking about, especially in this industry, you know, what are Trump's oil and gas policies? The biggest thing that we're seeing is, you know, that he's saying no to Saudi oil. Is this is this realistic? Is it plausible? What do we stand with this? Could he? Could you do it? Yes. Will it? Ha- does it make sense? No. And and the reason it doesn't make sense is that, and, and if you listen to the show, you've heard me say this before. Most of our refineries in the U.S. struggle with refining the light, sweet crude that we produce from the shale place. The shale place, let me correct myself. Um, we're the world's experts on refining the technically complex heavy crudes that come from the Middle East and Canada. And you actually get more, um, uh, more assets out of uh, refining those, those uh, heavy crudes. So what happens is we're basically net-net right now. We, we produce as much oil as we consume, but we trade it. It's sort of like, you know, part of the year Florida buys California oranges and part of your California buys Florida oranges. Um, we need this heavy crude for our refineries. And the, the nice thing is, you know, so if, if conceivably if you could stop buying Saudi oil, um, that's going to hurt um, OPEC. But if you continue to buy oil from OPEC, from Saudi Arabia, and are able to outproduce them, they, that puts you in a different different position as far as being able to control the price of oil globally so i you know i, I don't i don't think president-elect trump understands our refining constraints i think once he understands that because he's a business concern it'll make sense to him but i am firmly convinced that we have destabilized opec that we have we're at the beginning of the end of opec being able to control oil prices and in the near future i think we're going to be the swing producer i think if the u.s decides they want to flood the market we can just turn the taps on so it's um it's interesting time, interesting point in history. Um, OPEC's t- traditionally been very strong because their members um, abide it by the whatever decision made. So if if it was decided that they go up in production, they would. To go down in production, it went. What's happening lately is some of the OPEC members aren't abiding by the rules, which which means that the strength of OPEC is being crumbled because that was their strength. Um, so it's just it's gonna be an interesting place to see. One of the things that was unexpected in this downturn, especially by Saudi Arabia, is that um, they didn't realize that we would keep producing, which kept prices low for much longer. So they have very cheap production cost, but they have this big social program that they have to pay for. 
And what they have is a savings account, right? It's the, um, I can't remember what it's called. It's a, uh, anyway, they have this basically big fund where they had a lot of extra money invested. And so they had to tap into it during this low uh, crude price environment. And what they expected to do um, is when the price of crude came back, to be able to put money back into that fund. Well, the price of crude's not coming back. We're not getting to 80 or $90 a barrel again, which means they've depleted their savings account, but they can't put money back in there. Just like you and me, Jake, if we deplete our savings account, we can't put money back in there. Eventually, that end game is not pretty. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it was at a uh, 2014, 2015. They ran like a almost a hundred billion dollar budget deficit. Right, which means they pulled a hundred billion dollars out of their savings account that they can't put back in there. Yeah, and it's also I don't I don't know if this is absolutely correct, but it's kind of my understanding that that fund that you're talking about is it's more like an investment fund. Like they actually have investors. Oh no, it, yeah, yeah, it's an investment fund. They what they do is they take the, Norway has the same thing. They take this cash and they invest in stuff around the world, trying to get a return on that money so that their fund actually grows. Yeah, it's an investment fund. Yeah, so they're going to be in big trouble if they start paying this back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's interesting. To, it's, uh, if nothing else, it's interesting that Donald Trump's so in their face about. I mean, just you know, you got to laugh at the guy. I mean, I know a lot of people have laughed at him for a long time, but to you know, I don't know any other president in history that would tell Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia that we're not buying your oil anymore. <laughs> you know, I think that's just part of his uh, persona. It's it's all about shock value, and then he kind of retracts a little bit and uh, repositions himself in his statements. Yeah, he definitely says what's on his mind. <laughs> Maybe that's needed. Maybe that'll cause more trouble than it's worth. Who knows? As far as as far as uh, you know, regulations moving forward. I think we know that the current administration is not too oil and gas friendly. Do you do you think? Do you think this new administration will be? Oh my God, Jake! That's this is one of our predictions for next year. This is going to be the most oil and gas friendly administration in the history of the U.S. So I've read his energy policy in depth. Um, all the people, political positions, he's pulling out the politicians and replacing them with CEO of oil companies. So the, the head of the interior is going to be now a CEO of, um, I think, Luke Oil. The head of his energy is going to be the CEO of, um, God, I can't remember which oil company it was. Um, but, you know, we finally have oil people in place around making laws about oil and gas. Um, surprisingly, Republicans maintain control of Congress, which means they can get this stuff done. Uh, one of the big things that Trump said he's going to do, which I've, I've, I'm so happy to see, he's going to pull all the teeth out of the EPA, right? So the EPA has been overextended its bounds. He's going to rescind all of the uh, executive actions that hurt the oil and gas industry. Jake, he's going to open up federal lands for drilling. I mean, you know, and all of this stuff is, is going to remove cost, which means at $50 a barrel, all of a sudden companies can make good profits. So it's, it's good for everybody. You may not know this. But in order to have a prosperous population anywhere in the world, you have to have abundant and cheap energy. Those two things together has to be abundant and cheap. And right now, the only place you can get abundant and cheap oil is from hydrocarbons. That mix is changing, right? Uh, the price of solar has gone down. The price of wind has gone down. And we've always had a mix. I mean, since our beginning, we, we started out with biofuels, Jake. We used to burn firewood, right? And, and so as we go through time, that mix will change. But hydrocarbons are uh, vital to this world for a bunch of reasons and will always will be. So, um, yeah, I, I think at least from the oil and gas industry's point of view, this is like, you know, you know, celebration time. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the, the biggest producer in the U.S. is our government. Yeah, the uh, biggest oil and gas company is our government. They make more money than anybody else. Yeah. yeah and, and why would you cut that revenue stream? I thought it's funny with our previous administration, publicly they would say X, Y, Z about the oil and gas industry, but they were very willing to take checks from selling leases in the Gulf of Mexico, right? Which went exactly against what they were saying publicly. Yeah. You know, and the, the, this may, I think this is kind of on topic. Uh, so 
hear me out. Uh, there's a, there's this new movie called War Dogs, right? Where these where these young kids they start running guns for the United States. Uh, if you actually get on that website, everything they said in the movie was absolutely correct. There are contracts that you can bid on, oil and gas contracts on that website, and they have to. They allocated 25% of all of their contracts have to go to uh, small businesses. And then from there, it even breaks down further. So say somebody like myself or yourself who is a military veteran, there's a whole category for that to where you can go in, uh, you know, win these bids uh, pretty easily. So that's something for anybody who's looking to really get in that space. It's something to really keep an eye out on. Yeah, I didn't know that existed. That's pretty cool. Glad you brought that up. Yeah, there's a, a lot, a lot of really cool things on there. Um, moving on to our next one. So this week has been a, a, a big week for uh, GE. Uh, they've bought two startups in one week for just over a billion dollars. Uh, they bought uh, industrial Internet of Things startup Bitstew for $153 million, uh, but they also bought ServiceMax, which is a cloud-based field service platform for $915 million, uh, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, and you know, Jake, this goes back to their uh, their um, purchase of uh, GE Buy and Baker Hughes. What a lot of people don't realize is GE is getting ready to go head-to-head with Schlumberger, who's the largest um, awful service company in the world. But what they're doing, and I think this is genius, and I didn't see it coming, they're creating, they're creating a new type of service company for our new modern oil field, right? Where technology plays such an important, important role. And what they're trying to put themselves is, and if I get, see if I get this right, Jake, but they're trying to put themselves in a position where they're that middle layer, right? That middle layer where other technologies, where they pull uh, data up to their middle layer, then the other companies can build technologies on top of them, but they own that middle layer, which I think is just, just genius. Cause you know, we've talked about this before, I'm seeing technology being adopted in this industry faster than I've ever seen it. Cognitive, uh, Internet of Things, big data analytics, machine learning. Everybody's looking at it. I mean, I spoke just recently at the Internet of Things conference. Just the fact that there is an Internet of Things conference in all the guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so I, I think this is genius by GE. I think if um, if Slumberjay doesn't figure out how to get ahead of this, I, I think uh, they have a, a good chance in another five or six years to actually pass up Slumberjay. I 100% agree, you know, because they're preparing for the world in 10 years. They're not preparing for the world today, uh, which is, I think, what Schlumberger is doing. Yeah. Uh, I think GE is going to become, I mean, they're already a titan, but I think it's going to be on a whole nother level in five to 10 years, um, especially with acquisitions like this, especially with a merger with uh, Baker Hughes. Um, so these two startups are actually uh, part of a bigger ecosystem that GE is really building. It's called uh, the Predix uh yeah, Predix. Uh, it's the industrial internet platform. So in kind of my interpretation of this and kind of just looking at it, uh, it seems like they're building uh, kind of like a Salesforce one type platform, yeah. yeah. you know, to where they're, it's, they're, they're building the platform, but then they're getting a whole bunch of third party developers and companies to actually build applications for this Predix platform, which is going to be primarily, uh, like you know, I said, it's industrial. So it could be utilities, it can be oil and gas. Oil and gas is a huge part of that. Um, and it, surprisingly enough, I mean, their, their revenues for 2016 so far from what I found was uh, around $6 billion. I yeah, mean, and so that's, that's just, that's, they're just getting started. Yeah. And that's going to continue. You and I both know this because we're both in this world and we see this, but um, ways to increase production using technologies is everywhere. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of companies that are out there fixing different problems out there. A lot of these companies are small. What GE is doing is basically building that full stream a digital industrial service company 
but it's an oil and gas service company so that all these parts and pieces can be interconnected. What is a Microsoft Azure? Microsoft's Azure platform is sort of like they're building the, the oil and gas version of Azure. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, it's just, I th like I said, I think it's genius. And I think this is going to be a major game changer in the industry. It's going to drive costs down. It's going to allow companies to do stuff with less um, manpower because a lot of manpower, a lot of talent is gone. Um, and it's going to drive efficiencies in this hydrocarbon abundant world. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this thing goes. I mean, it. I think the Internet of Things really, I mean, I know it is kind of a hype word um, to something that's already been around. Essentially, you're, you're pulling in uh, data from SCADA systems, which can be uh, meters. It can be any type of sensors on. I mean, there's millions of different types. And you're pulling it into a central location, essentially running uh, very elaborate algorithms to help you pull out extremely valuable data. And machines can do these kind of algorithms way better than people ever can, especially when you're dealing with uh, billions and billions of data points, like maybe even a day, uh, depending on your business. So, I mean, there's a there's huge value in upstream, midstream, and downstream. Um, yeah, and, and and one of the things that's what's so the industry as a whole has always been a big data industry, right? But that data was siloed. So the guys that are doing the work in a production platform in the Gulf of Mexico, that data doesn't get sent to the guys that have to decommission that platform 50 years later. Now all that's going to be able to work together. And like you said, the machine never gets tired, never takes a vacation. It can look at a, you know, 100,000 data streams a second in real time. And it's just, it's, it's going to drive a lot. It's going to drive safety metrics. It's going to drive um, lower production costs. It's going to drive lower E&P costs. Um, eventually it will allow the expensive oil to come back online. So, you know, in the near future, uh, ultra deep water, high pressure, high temperature oil sands, that's really going to kind of go away because it's expensive oil. But somewhere down the road, the technology will be there where that Parker drill ship goes out there and does all the work by itself, right? No people involved does it precisely because of the big data analytics. And so it's going to lower the cost where that deep water is going to come back. So, you know, anybody that's listening to the show knows that I'm, I'm a bit of a tech geek in oil and gas, and I love this sort of stuff, and, and I think it's all exciting, and it's, and it's good for the industry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's really, I think it's a really exciting time to be in this industry. And let me uh, let me correct something. So a lot of people go, oh, but you could lose jobs. Yes, you will, but new jobs will be created. Um, and, and so, you know, heads up, stay aware, see what's going on. I talked to somebody just recently who wanted to become a geologist, and I said, okay, but that world's going to change. You also need to learn big data. And so he looked at it, and he found a program where he could do both geology and learn big data. And I go, you're going to come out of school with a big check mark that none of the other geologists have in a time when understanding big data is vital to do your job. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people don't realize that how – how big GE really is and really what they have their hands on. So most of most of the, you know, if you fly any kind of commercial airline, usually you're going to have some kind of GE engine in there. Yeah. Um, and they actually run predictive analytics so they can know when something's going to fail, like an engine on your plane. Uh, they'll know when it's going to fail usually a couple months before it actually happens. Um, so it allows them to get ahead of that and stop it. So if you... Obviously, you don't want your engine to go out when you're flying on a plane. So it's the same thing in oil and gas. You know, you don't want your wells to be down. Uh, you don't want your refinery to be down. You don't want your turnover to take longer than it has to. Uh, so you can actually reduce downtime, uh, maximize profits. Um, you can look at individual lives of uh, tubing or, or casing. I mean, it re really anything. Um, it's it's going to be huge. It really yeah, is. And then, so when you have the Internet of Things involved and when you have analytics around that, basically in a simplified way, a mud pump can know when it's getting ready to go out of service. It can order its own replacement and have it just in time delivered so it's not sitting in a warehouse. You, you talk about a cost savings in the industry because you don't have lost production time, but you're not warehousing expensive mud pumps. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just exactly. goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, it's it, it's it really is amazing. And it, it, to any of the the people out there who are thinking about getting into uh, getting into the oil and gas startup space, you know, I talk to people who are looking to to do this all the time. Take a really hard look at that, um, you know, because I mean, there's a, there's a world of opportunity there as a sort of founder to even you know to build the you know, to build the next service max or to build the next bits to, um, you know, that can either become, you know, some gigantic company within the space uh, and compete against GE or, I mean, you have the, a huge opportunity to get acquired um, and really change the industry. And look, there's a lot of capital out there. In the oil and gas industry, there's tons of capital sitting on the sidelines. So, you know, if you're a tech startup or you're thinking about doing a tech startup, look hard at this industry. It's a great place for you to make an entree and, and either, like like Jake said, either grow your company or have it acquired by somebody. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right, Mark. There's, there's so much money uh, from people who are not in this industry who are looking to get in, uh, either, you know, venture capital firms or angel investors. Um, so if, if you've got a great idea or you have a great existing business, um, you know, and you need funding, you, you just got to look for it. But it's there. Yeah, you and I just recently spoke at uh, Houston Startup Week, and we had a room full of people that were in that exact position. Yeah, that was a great event. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was, was a good time. All right, so now is a good time to talk about us being on the road. So if you have a book club, a trade association, you have a company a kickoff, a school, any of that sort of stuff, uh, Jake and I will be happy to jump on the road and come out there and talk to you. Um, we actually, I'm not sure, Jake, if you could join me in Geo Convention or James Hahn will, but one of y'all will be with me at the Geo Convention in a Calgary, Canada, May 15th and 19th. And the cool thing, Jake, is they're actually offering us a, a special for our listeners. So if you want to exhibit, and you should exhibit, the price of crude's coming back up. You need to spend your marketing dollars wisely. Uh, normally, a 10 by 10 uh, exhibition space, which is $1,800, is, they'll give us a discount for $1,600. Um, they're also looking for lunch sponsors, which is a great way to get in front of a whole bunch of people because you get to introduce the speakers and your, your logos over everything. If you're interested in this, reach out to Dustin. It's Dustin at geoconvention.com. Jake will put a link in the show notes um, and just tell him we sent you his way. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And, and I've done this myself, not necessarily at the Geo Convention, but I've done a whole bunch of oil and gas events. Um, so if you are running a business and you need to get some eyeballs on your business and drive some traffic, uh, there, there's so many good events out there. Um, if you have any questions as to what events your company should be attending to really you know, drive business your way, uh, reach out to one of us and we'll be glad to help you out with that. Yeah. And so, Jake, we have a new segment because we have Jake. It brought in a new segment. So instead of the weekly onion, and the audience knows I hate it, that darn thing, um, we have the weekly rig count. So what's going on there? All right. So the weekly rig count. So this is pulled uh, directly from Baker Hughes. Uh, for this week, uh, we're down one rig. It's not too terribly bad, but uh, compared to last year, we're down 199 rigs. So we're 25.9% lower. Um, so looking at the breakdown uh, between rigs that are drilling specifically for oil and ones that are drilling specifically for oiling, or for natural gas, uh, we are up two for oil and we're down two for natural gas. Yeah, it's um, so one of the things I'm seeing in CapEx budgets, because this is the end, this is the fourth quarter of 2016, and everybody has spent the last couple of months doing their CapEx budgets for next year. And I talk to these guys on a daily basis. One of the things I'm seeing that's shifting for next year is they're pulling their uh, E&P budgets from offshore and putting it on land. So I actually expect the rig count to go up. I see the major operators and then all the shale players spending more money next year in the shale plays, but everybody's spending less money offshore. 
So if you're a service company that has an offshore, strong offshore component, you need to figure out how to get ahead of uh, the onshore stuff because that's where the money's going to be for next year. Yep. So do, do, let's talk. Let's talk about jobs really quickly. And I don't know if this is necessarily part of the part of this segment, but looking forward, 2017. We're at the end of 2016. Where do you, where do you think we're going to be with jobs? Do people have hope that they're going to land uh, a great position this year, or should they start looking in other industries? No, it's happening now. So Halliburton's already started hiring again. Slumber's Day's already started hiring again. Now it's at a trickle. You know, it's not at the wild pace it was when oil was one hundred forty-five dollars a barrel. But just the fact they start hiring again tells you stuff's happening. I'm, I'm already having companies reach out to me to see if I can help them find certain skill sets. So it's coming back. So if you're in the industry and unfortunately you've gotten laid off. Um, 2017, you should be able to pick up a job if you have experience. It may not be the crazy business first class double per diem job that it was in $140 a barrel, but it's a job. Um, and it will slowly come back and it will, it will level out at you know, between $50 and $60 a barrel, which most companies can make money there, even offshore. So the, the jobs are coming back. It's not going to come back in a rush, but it will the ramp will grow as we go through uh, 2017. By the end of 2017, I think hiring is going to be at a pretty good place. That's so great to hear. And I know so many really, really qualified people that unfortunately, uh, you know, have just been out of a job for, you know, maybe the last five, six months, maybe even even longer than that. So it'll be good to get some more uh, more people working again. Yeah, it is good. Um, and now is a good time to do our bulwark winner. So we have a winner and the winner is Stephen Tainter. Uh, he's a product engineer at Chevron. So Stephen, congratulations. Uh, you have won the Bulwark long sleeve two-tone base layer, which has become the fastery accessory for 2016 in the oil and gas industry. If you would like to be like Stephen and win your own Bulwark two-tone base layer, it's very easy. You go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. That's B-U-L-W-A-R-K.com forward slash podcast. Fill in your information and we might pull your name next week. All right, and now for our next part of this, uh, it's going to be the events on deck. Mark, what do we got here? We got some really cool stuff coming up. So we have the 2017 Houston Data Management and Symposium. Hey, we were just talking about that. What a, what a coincidence, right? So if you're interested in showcasing your technology, your company to the petroleum data management community, it's uh, February 28th to March 1st at the Houston Data Management Symposium and Trade Show. Um, this is a great event. Um, it's, it's showcasing the intersection of technology and oil and gas, which is something I'm a huge fan of. Um, we'll have the chance you have exhibitor booths. Um, the, um, it's going to be a, a great show floor. You know, if you want to talk to a lot of your peers, see some, a lot of the new technology that's coming in the industry. Uh, Jake will stick a link in the show notes uh, so you can learn more about this. The other thing we have going on is the second annual Oil and Gas Supply Chain and Procurement Summit. That's December 6th and 17th. It's here in Houston. Um, this is a great, great event. Um, procurement and supply chain is the issue for the entire industry, upstream, midstream, downstream, and service. And then Jake, um, our buddy Patrick Pister and myself will actually be recording an HSE podcast or several oh, from, the, yeah, from the show. So if you want to go to the show and learn about procurement and best practices, great. If you want to go to the show to see if you can get on our podcast, that's good too. If you decide to go, reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, Jake and I's Twitter information will be in the show notes. And let me know that you're going. I'd love to connect with you in person. And then, as usual, first Friday Q&A, we've got a bunch of great questions in. Um, if you'd like to get your question in, it's very simple. It's uh, tryrocket.com forward, forward slash uh, QA. So I'm sorry, you have to cut that out, Jake. So it's uh, tryrocket.com forward slash QA to get your questions in. The other thing you can do is this show is the first show that's going to be on the Global Oil and Gas Network. In the actual show notes, right, you can click 
um, and, and enter a comment, you can put your question there. We'd love that if you do that. That's an easy way to make sure that we get it because if you email it to us, we sometimes lose it. Um, and then reviews. Reviews are so unbelievably important. Um, please, 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 if you like the show, if you like Jake, the new edition, let us know. Uh, Jake or if you a, hate me, let me, let me know that too. <laughs> yeah, Jake's going to put a link in the show notes so you can leave us a review. Um, if you go to iTunes and search for Oil & Gas This Week, we'll pop up. You can leave a review that way as well. And then LinkedIn. If you listen to the show and you like what's going on, or like Jake said, if you don't, join our LinkedIn group. It's Oil & Gas Global Network. Go search on LinkedIn. It's really easy to find. Type in OGGN, um, and we're right there. Um, it's our family, right? So I've seen people, I've seen salespeople uh, share contacts. It's where everything new that Jake and I are going to do, and Jake and I have a lot of new stuff coming out, it's going to be announced there first. Um, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be doing is going to be exclusive, so it's going to be first come, first serve. So if you listen to the show, go join the LinkedIn group. You'll be glad you did. And then finally, if you like the show, can you please, please do me and Jake a favor? Jake needs the love. Can you share? <laughs> can you share the show uh, on your social networks, so Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn? Uh, email to people that are in your network that may appreciate the show. Uh, let's get Jake some. Let's get Jake some love from our audience. But please share the show. Help us grow. Uh, we're going places with this, and and we're excited that our audience is helping us get there. Yeah, exactly, and. and- we, we do this for you guys. So we want to know. We want to know your feedback. Uh, the reviews help. It really helps us uh, kind of get the word out there and just keep doing what we're doing um, and hopefully providing good, valuable content for you guys. Yeah. And if you have some suggestions, if you'd like to hear other stuff, uh, let us know. We intentionally did not go through as many news articles as we normally do because we needed to introduce Jake. Um, this will also be released the week of Thanksgiving. So Jake and I will be too busy eating turkey on Thursday. We're not going to release another show then. So this is our Thanksgiving edition. So, you know, we'd like to tell our whole audience, uh, both here in the U.S. And, and overseas, you know, happy Thanksgiving. It's a, it's a great holiday um, based upon the American people giving thanks that they were able to form this country. So um, enjoy your turkey, your cranberry sauce, your pumpkin pie. Um, we will be back here the following week with another new show for you. Uh, that's about it. You ready to get out of here, Jake? Let's get out of here. All right, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. All right, take care, guys. Jake, you're just a natural. I mean, that was way better than I expected.